Hi, welcome to the new episode of Foam Talks, themed around the latest issue of Foam magazine, Motherlands, the transnational issue. We will be discussing the political power of images and how they shape our understanding of the world. My name is Elisa Medde. I'm the editor-in-chief of Foam magazine, and today I will be joined by historian, writer, and curator Taus Dahmani. We will talk about collaborating and criticism, her practice in writing and curating photography, and how we relate and experience images all around us. Well, hi, Tawusan. Welcome here. And thank you so much for, you know, taking the time and, and making space in your schedule to, to speak with me today. I really appreciate this. Thank you. I'm so happy that we're getting to do that and getting to catch up. It's great. Lovely. Um, so uh, we're chatting here today because, uh, well, we've been knowing each other for a while. We've been having conversations and we were lucky enough to have you Uh, as one of our contributors to the latest issue of Foam magazine, Motherland, uh, the transnational issue, where you contributed with a beautiful conversation with Johnny Pitts. And um, the theme, the topics that we will be discussing today, or that I was, um, you know, questions that I had for you, all relate to the themes around the magazine, but mostly relate also to your personal research, i know you've been very busy and very much focused in looking into the relations between the politics of gestures, of photographic gestures, and um, the political action or the political impact and the way we relate with those images and how those images are produced and how uh, they are consumed and, and what kind of impact they have in their audience. So these are, this is really the larger topic Uh, that's very much present in the magazine in many shapes and forms, um, but also the focus that I would like to, to talk about today. Um, you're a trailblazer, you have just, you completed your PhD and you've been writing a lot. I've been, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're lying to everybody. I'm uh, no, I'm, I'm still, I'm still writing it right now and it's still, it's almost there, but yeah, almost there. Okay. I've got a bit of an extension because I'm working on another project. All right. You see, that's what I mean. You're, you're always juggling a gazillion project at the same time. And I'm always in awe and thinking, how, how can she do this? Um, I've read your interview with the Thousand Words Photography a couple of days ago because they have just published the book. And that was lovely and interesting to read also from, you know, um, someone that works in, in publishing like myself that loves to read as well to see how your relations with that as, with that is and, and with all these uh, aspects of, uh, of, of our working life. That was a super interesting uh, invitation because I think one of my favorite things is to think about the way we do things. So the, the, the way we do writing, the way we do image, the way we do cooking. I'm obsessed with people that talk about their craft and I'm an avid reader of those things. So when the editors invited me to take part, I was like, I've never done that and I'm so excited to be able to get the chance to do so. So I guess the, my first question for you, it's, it's a very basic core question and that is what is your relationship with images and photography in particular how how do you relate to them 
it depends um, on where I stand and how I present myself. Depends if I present myself as this writer, curator, researcher, or just a citizen walking down the streets, or just a avid user of social media. Um, I guess that sort of shift and change and, and I sort of navigate different gazes in a way. But to be quite honest with you, I think the main way I interact with images is an emotional way. And I think I tried to trick my, my, myself for years to think that my only interest in images was like an intellectual, complex, layered way. But I think at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm starting to yeah, uh, accept that actually, I think my main interest in images is what emotion they might trigger. Might they be positive, negative and everything in between? Yeah. And do, because do you think, or did you wish to put different hats depending on what role you were covering when relating to images? Yeah, of course. I think I, let me think about this. I think I do not look at things in the same way depending on why I'm looking at them. All right. And I think it would be naive for me to say that I'm always that sort of photo historian, photo critic, photo writer all the time. It's not true. I get also tricked and I also get um, um, seduced by images like everyone else. And I get sort of puzzled by images. And we mentioned just before the recording started, the, the cover of a foam and we sort of chatted a little bit about it and how I was just shocked by it. And I think that's when I those sort of initial three first seconds reaction are not reactions that are brain related. They are reactions that are very much sort of like, um, yeah, sort of trigger, emotional triggers. Yeah. Like, what is this? Well, not what is it, because this is already a sort of question, but this is like, oh, this is shock right yeah. now. And then you go into thinking about why shock, why Why am I so uncomfortable in front of this image? Yeah. So, yeah. I think I'd, I'd love to go back to that conversa little conversation we were having about the cover later uh, because I think it was super interesting. But this aspect that you're mentioning about a very um, instinctual reaction to what we see for me is extremely important because, for example, for me, it's exactly the other way around. So I feel that for myself, it's always emotional, one way or another. The intellectual reasoning, the intellectual question, or um, the simple context questions or curiosities uh, around whatever I'm looking at always come later. And I always, and I struggled with it for so long because I always thought, no, 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 I should be, you know my brainy professional self and always put that hat first before everything, that emotional reaction, that, that bodily feeling, so to say, that bodily experience almost, huh? that informs anything else, really. Mm. And I find that so interesting because I think that for the larger public that we all work with and for in whatever 
thing that we do in photography, be writing or curating exhibitions or putting together magazines. The public does exactly that. Everyone at different level eh, does exactly that. Then you have maybe some deeper or, or more elaborate levels of curiosity. Yeah, for sure. And I think my academic root and how I started really sort of thinking with about and on images was through my MA and my MA was about the place and role of photographs in conceptual art so it was all about concepts ideas and how the visual relates to that so I think my I started with reading Bergen and Roberts and all those people and Lippard and all those people and And I think that sort of drove me so much for so long. And I think I'm I'm getting to a point now of humility. And I sort of thrive for and I express openly a need for simplicity. And I think, yeah, working last year on the exhibition I put up for all really sort of um, made me think of that a lot about emotions and about what narrative we say or or share with people when we decide to put together a series of images on the wall and made me also think about the place of human beings in all the aspects around, on, in, on top of, under everything around a photograph. And I think... I recently wrote an essay around about how can we sort of reappropriate, reclaim a sort of non-racist, non-essentialist, non-universal humanism in photography. And that's my sort of new sort of utter obsession. (laughs) And as anti-racist feminist thinkers, we tend to get... We can't use those words because they're so loaded so and so triggering. And I'm like, no, I like that word. Let me clean it up of like all its messiness and let me reclaim it and reuse it to sort of think about what I'm most interested in when I look at images. Going back to your first question, it's all the humans that are at sort of play in an image and around an image. I'm most interested in the photographer, the image maker, who he, who he or she or they are, and what they decide to depict, but also where they decide to show it, who's leading that space, how it's done. I'm completely obsessed by the entire sort of ecosystem around images too, and how they are encountered. I can totally relate to that. And that is, again, a why we do things. And then I, keep on, I kept on thinking um, about a conversation that we had this summer in Art, mm-hmm. where we were talking about how do you actually, as a curator, as a writer, as someone who operates in the hinterland, eh, in the context around the photographers, the artists, the authors, how do you put systems and paradigms and context and experiences in place so that that message is conveyed, so that that experience goes through. Mm -hmm. And when reading um, 
your interview with uh, A Thousand Words, the writer's conversation, mm -hmm. there is a moment, there is a quote. I also share your love of quotes. Uh, that's also something I'm <laughs> quite obsessed with. <laughs> so I put, took down a quote. <laughs> and there is a moment in which you say, uh, you know, it's a conversation about the knowledge produced by catalogs versus magazines, journals, and other sorts of publications versus the performative nature of exhibitions. So how, how do you navigate between these conditions? Because you are very much active, both as an editor, as a writer, and as a curator. How do you feel in that? It's a strange dualism, I feel. Uh, for myself, sometimes it's something I suffer of. Sometimes it's something I surf in a better way. So I'm curious to hear how do you, how do you navigate that space? Do you mean how do I navigate a guiding of images? Yeah, well, how do you feel, um, how do you place yourself and what strategies you use when you have to organize an exhibition, to curate an exhibition that, as you say, is sort of easier in a way because it has a performative nature, people can be there physically in the space, and how do you operate instead when you're putting together context and content uh, for publication, for a book or for a magazine, which is experienced in a completely different way without that bodily involvement, probably. I think talking about strategies, we might have to wait an extra 10 years and I'll let you know what sort of my strategies are. Right now, I think it's really much about me sort of learning as I go I, and I really hope I'll never have anything to definitive to share with anyone and I really hope I'll always be questioning myself and questioning others and not think I have solutions for anything and um, if I ever do say that to you Lisa please let me know and remind me of what I just said like so, as, you, as you describe like what I do People often say, well, what do you do, actually? Because I'm a freelancer and, and I think people get a bit confused. And I tend to say I'm a translator. I have a sort of academic background that sort of gave me the tools to navigate um, complex thinking. But I also am who I am. And who I am in academia is a complex situation and complex position and place to be in. And I think I quickly sort of realized that what I wanted to do may be in a magazine, in an essay, in an exhibition, you name it, is using humanity, because I'm reclaiming the word, as a conductor to more complex ideas related to identities at large. Um, how do I speak speak about the human condition, again, to use big, big words and big concepts, as a way to open up conversations that are often named, labelled as too divisive, too polarising, too complicated, too, too not for me or not for this person or not for that person, too I don't want to speak about it, too it's not for me. How do I actually use our human condition that we all share without being naive, without being blind to anything that is going on, with retaining my strong politics and making it into a 
accessible, digestible way of encountering the world. And I think I've tried very hard to do that with all with the show, the Discovery Award. My, my, I was thinking when I was making the show, I was thinking about people that don't care about queer communities and yet were so moved by some of the projects that were uh, shared. That, that was my main thinking. How do I, what do I show and how do I write about and how do I talk about something when I have in mind someone who doesn't want to think or talk to me? sort of thing and I think at the end of the day well at least right now today that's my way of thinking I want to reclaim that idea of our common humanity and I know it's a loaded complicated layered claim and that I know it will be <laughs> for myself uh, a long 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 road to sort of try and on it or this but I I came after years in academia and trying to understand all that that's my answer right now I really love the way you describe your position as saying I feel I'm a translator I feel like what I can or what I want uh, to face the monster I want to face is the translation is the creation of that bridge and I find and I find that um, essential because I feel that that's exactly what needs to be done even if it's frightening uh, do, do you also get lost in translation <laughs> um, some of us or, or yeah. do you feel that the process goes more straightforward for you some of the writers I admire the most deeply 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 are brilliant thinkers and they write in the simplest of ways um, I think it's way more complicated to write or think or talk in a simple way not mean not meaning that it's simple ideas but in an accessible way I'm, th I'm thinking when I'm talking to you to, about Stuart Hall who was a, the leader of cultural studies and yet was on TV, speaking about those complex ideas on TV. And it was often, in the context of, of Britain in the 1970s, 80s and 90s, the first black intellectual that young black British people were able to see on TV. Expre expressing complex ideas in simple ways and relate to it, understand it. And when you understand something, knowledge is power. It's not from me, it's Foucault. Knowledge is power. Actually empower people by making your thinking and your writing and your... No, I'm not saying that I'm empowering anyone, but I'm just saying that's where, that, that, that's where I come from and that's what I think about when I actually ask myself what, why I'm doing all that. Yeah. And and again you provide tools. Yeah. That's that's what you do. You provide tools for people to then choose um whether they might be interested in them and using them and in the way they use them then opens up a whole lot of different conversation. But I think it all stems from that wish to not shy away from the complicated slash 
difficult slash controversial concept or image and yet try to find a way to talk about it or to experience it somehow. If we think about the evolution of photo theory, photo history and photo thinking in general, there is a tendency when lost in front of an image or when not exactly sure where the thinking is going to make it into a complex, sort of complex mass of words. I'm always quite sort of on extra, yeah, I have extra attention that is triggered when I encounter text. I'm like, hmm. If it's complex for me, it probably means that actually your ideas are not super clear and you did not make the extra effort to make sure that your idea was extra clear. And maybe it's because your idea is not, and that's fine. Let's talk about it. Let's write about it. Let's work on it. But yeah, that's how I think about some, some writing about images. And is that the same thing with images themselves? Yeah, 100%. Especially with this sort of lingering, very difficult to go beyond trope of photography being either objective or real. I think we might be able to write all the books in the world, do all the shows in the world. This thing is never, never going to go away. And it means that we need to be extra careful with how we educate uh, young people, especially educate pe young people on looking at images because they are going to be something that is being played, something that is being sold, something that is being conveyed, an ideology, an idea, a discourse, an emotion. We need to be able to deconstruct, reconstruct in order to be able to not be lost in front of an image. And I think that is especially for young image makers because... Because you, you told me in, in an email before that conversation, oh, let's talk about sort of like the politics of, of images. But I'm actually, there's loads of books about the politics of images. I'm actually more interested in the politics of photographers and image makers, who they are, where they stand, and how they actually come up with strategies, to use your word, visual strategies to convey the ideas. I'm way more interested in where they come from, what they've done, what they think, and what all that means when they take a picture or create a picture. At the end of the day, those images are made by people, most of the time, at least the images we're talking about. And I'm quite convinced that if their idea is not clear, to go back to our point about writing, if their idea is not clear, their photograph is going to show it. Or oh, it's going to be fakely complex. And at the end of the day, when you actually really spend time with the work, you're like, yeah, no, that's not working. This is the one end of the spectrum in which we, we, we move in, right? Um, 
I mentioned before, something that I am busy with is teaching. Mm -hmm. And it's always down to that question, do you have anything to say? Sub-question, is that whatever thing that you have to say actually in the images you're creating, is that thing going through? And then at the other end of the spectrum is, how is that thing that you created being received, being interpreted, being felt also? Which in a way brings us back to, to that little conversation about the cover of the magazine. Uh, the, the, issue, the, the latest issue of the magazine was born out of a desire to talk about nationalism without using the word nationalism. So deep down, there's this wish to talk and unpack very complex situations that have many nuances and different interpretations throughout a continent in a way that can possibly be approached and can be possibly be unpacked by a reader. And when it comes to the cover, it was extremely interesting for us, you know, on a very superficial level to see an image that after 20 years keeps on creating such conflicting emotions, keeps on creating such uh, strong reactions in the public that see them. It's exactly the same image was published at first in 2005 uh, in Vienna and it was a very problematic reception. We put it in the cover of a magazine now in 2022. It was perceived um, strongly uh, with interest and it has uh, sparked many conversations and all of them absolutely necessary and all of them very much wished for. Still, it's still one single image that can trigger all of that. So I feel that, or another very complicated question I have to for you is how do you navigate in between that understanding of, yes, a body of work is working because that message is going through, and the other hand, what happens when it is received? Is it going to be received the same way by a by whom? Oh my God. And who's not going to be receiving it that way? And as a person, as you know, as a big professional, you as well, that are so busy with curating and writing and, and publishing and editing, I feel that somehow I can relate that these struggles are yours. Oh my God, yes. I've, I think those questions started, you mentioned my sort of... Um, day-to-day -day life but uh, those questions started um when I was in academia and as a as a person who was trained as an art historian I always go back to iconography and I'm obsessed with it because at the end of the day it's what kind of objects symbols meaning signification that image maker creates in order to create sort of put together in order to create an image so what the intention is behind all those layers and then when you take all those layers and then you create an image how is that image then perceived and it's going to be perceived differently depending on the sort of cultural background cultural being understood in a very broad way of the viewer because we all come 
image makers come with their sort of cultural background to, to a camera and viewers come with their little eyes <laughs> with a massive cultural background too. And I think to go back to your, to the conversation about the cover, my main thing was why did the photographer remove the hair? That was my main thing. And I think that's my sort of feminist sort of first thought. If it's a sort of homage to l'origine du monde, then why is there no hair on the picture? Like, that was my first thing. I will ask Tanya. That was my first question. And so I think it sort of shows in a sort of tiny little example or exercise like that, how we come up with first reactions to images, how our cultural background, education, socio-political context um, informs how we look. Um, so because I can't survey, I actually started that first year of my PhD. I was like, could I survey how people, I was working on an image that was widely circulated in the um, uprisings in the 80s in England. And I was like, could I actually survey people uh, and ask them how they reacted to that image at the time? Quickly realized that it was impossible. And it's actually a big frustration, I think, for photo historians, not being able to know historical reactions to things. The only way is, is going to be reactions of people that have the power and platform of writing or voicing an opinion at some sort of point or some sort of like moment. Um, but everyday life people or people that are everyday life people, citizens that are going to become image makers, had that image impacted their sort of creative brain. I was fascinated by that, but I quickly realized that it was scientifically impossible to survey. So my only way into sort of understanding that image was to talk to the image maker and to talk to the people who then reappropriated that image in order to deconstruct it because it was a highly problematic image that was on the cover of okay. a lot of newspapers in the, after the uprising in 1985 in Birmingham. So okay. I think there is a thing about image making, image thinking, image writing, image curating, needing to be in therapy constantly. <laughs> Talk about its traumas, <laughs> its past, its complicated parents, and um, start to come up with new tools and new strategies and new ways of thinking its future. Yeah. Yeah. And the code switching of images, um, you know, also connecting to, to the conversation on iconography and iconology, that wish of include a different set of codes within the same image that could be understood by different people differently, depending on who you think is going to be on the other end, which... Um, I mean, again, it could be connected to hair. You know, what was Tanya Stowich's wish or thought behind pubic mm -hmm. hair in 2005 within that cost, mm -hmm. the context? I mean, this is, I feel that we all, on this side of image making, uh, <laughs> that we do not image make, but we image disseminate or image curate and image, <laughs> thank goodness, really. 
but we we try to ask ourselves questions and calculate reactions up to the 15th move sometimes yet be very conscious that it all goes down to that gut feeling that triggers it all and that informs that knowledge somehow yeah yeah personally that gut feeling is a big sort of um guide but i think when working i do have a set of sort of ways of checking myself and checking what i'm working on and who i'm working with if if i do that then i'm like okay i'm happy to put that out in the world and if there's any criticism of it or any backlash or any whatever you name it i i, I feel like i have an answer yeah and i'm quite happy with the answer i'm i'm able to give yeah well i guess that that's the the guiding line right i mean as long as you have an answer of any sort that that gives a reason not justifies because it's really not about justifying anything but gives a reason why you're doing things that is exactly what opens up the conversation and that is what creates the room for that conversation i guess right yeah for sure and i think i probably ask myself always why why this why that why this there why that like that why 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 and if my thousands of whys are answered it's good good to go can be printed <laughs> which reminds me that you're actually talking with me today taking away precious time for from your book Yay! that you yes. mentioned can you tell us something I'll tell you a little bit because it's not printed yet. <laughs> um it's I'm working in very close collaboration with photographer Joy uh, Gregory on editing um a collection or anthology of black british women photographers active in britain in the 1980s and 1990s um the book is kind of an amazing project because it's at the sort of crossroads of lived experience meaning it's joy gregory's life and past and um network and friends wow. and history uh, i've been researching those women and talking to them for the last 8 9 years now Um so we got together in order to create that book what main sort of um challenge not challenge that's the not the wrong word the main sort of uh, conversation that sort of also needed to be addressed in the book is when i say black british women photographers um i'm using all those words in their 1980s and 1990s meaning meaning that black was about political blackness and we have photographers that come from various diasporic uh, backgrounds asia southeast asia africa caribbean and latin america and even a few countries from um so- southern uh europe um so it's um a very much about that time it's very much about giving a voice to those women who are most of them are still around and it's very much about giving them a platform and making sure their history is recorded and their images are shared wow and what's what's the timeline of it when is it going to be released roughly you you know already 
So it's it's, it's co-published by Autograph ABP and Michael Mack, and it's going to be for spring 2023. Wow. Well, I can't wait for that. <laughs> Me neither. I can't um, wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I am, besides the topic being utterly necessary and super interesting i am i am very much sure that by the time you're gonna hit the green you can go to press type of button you will have asked all the possible questions a human can imagine let's, about let's that. hope let's hope <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Stavus. i think this is a very high high point to finish our conversation and actually i am already thinking about the follow-up so thanks can't wait to talk to you yeah again and again and again and um, see you soon bye 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 thank you for listening to this episode of Foam Talks you can find the latest issue of Foam Magazine Motherlands the transnational issue at the book section of Paris Photo from the 10th until the 13th of November at the best bookshops around the globe or online on our website foam.org. Keep an eye on our social media for the upcoming episode and thank you always for supporting us. Viva!